please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Um, I'm Lily Conway, and the passage today is from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run which with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You may be seated. We are literally standing on the edge of 2023, looking out to the future of 2024. Like I'm just literally standing on the edge here of the stage, hoping in my old age I don't fall off and create an incident for us. But you know, uh, as I was thinking about standing on the edge, um, I, I thought about a place that I had a chance to uh, go to a couple of years ago called um, the edge of the world. It's in the desert of Saudi Arabia. I had business in the capital city of Riyadh. And while there, one of my colleagues said to me, hey, I, I, I see there's this place out in the desert they call the edge of the world. Why, why don't we go and see it? And so, you know, not thinking, I said, sure. I actually thought we were going to get like in a tour bus and we were going to go out to a fancy place and it was going to have a gift shop and all that kind of stuff, only to find out that uh, our ride met us at a, what I would call a, a Saudi 7-Eleven parking lot. It was a Jeep with two guys that we had already paid. We got in their Jeep and off we went. Now, that, I wasn't really thinking, I wasn't very bright uh, to, to, you know, I'm in Saudi Arabia, right, with, with only another guy. We have no weapons on us. We get in this Jeep and off we go. And we go for about 30 minutes on the freeway. Um, everything's fine. They seem to be driving okay. Yeah, uh, when all of a sudden he slows down, pulls over to the shoulder, and then turns into the desert and begins to drive. Think Yuma sand dunes, all right? So off in the desert we go, no road, into the middle of nowhere. The only way we know we're going somewhere is he's got a GPS unit on a suction cup on his dashboard. And for the next hour and 30 minutes, we drive straight into the desert. I prayed a lot, I thought a lot about family members, but I'll tell you, we went over and around sand dunes, up and down through rocky washes, and eventually we got there. And when we did, the drive was well worth the view. In fact, this is a picture of what it looked like. Think the Grand Canyon with no other side. And as I looked and pondered over this view, and it, it truly was spectacular, I, I thought about God and all the things that God has done, the, the power and the might, the creativeness of God. And in one sense, actually standing here 
with a view of all of you, the same thought comes to mind. That is, all of what God has done for each and every, in each and every one of you. This is quite a view. It's the, it's the looking today that I would like to address. It's the view of you that I would like to address. The, the title for what we're going to share today is this fixing our eyes on Jesus from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so as we stand on the edge of tomorrow, what is it that we see? What are we thinking? Are we thinking about what we should have done but didn't? What we wanted or where we wanted to go but couldn't? Are we wondering how we're going to make 2024 different? And so it's in light of our being on the edge of another year that I ask, do you ever wonder how your view of the world moves you through life? This view I am speaking of is called your worldview. Your worldview is what dictates how you live, what you believe, and it does so invisibly. It controls your attitudes and your actions. It is influenced by what you have experienced and by the intakes of your life. Now, for many of you here today, you may not even have known that you have one. However, our life is a demonstration of our worldview. It is what we believe lived out. What we should want for our lives is a biblical worldview, one that includes the truth of what happens when we die. And you might be surprised to know that especially for those who have professed faith in Christ, the Bible tells us numerous times and numerous places that the manner of our conduct of our current life should be guided, directed, and lived out based on our view of the life to come our eternal life. So this is sometimes referred to as our eternal hope. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1.18 says it this way, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Our call is to move through this life with a view of our eternal one. So how we live, walk, think, and do so in the here and now should be predicated on our knowledge that there is a new life awaiting us eternally with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So at the edge of a new year, this is a great opportunity to prepare, to train for the next leg of our journey to eternity, knowing that we are under constant competition from worldly influences. And consequently, we need to be sure that our worldview is squarely fixed on Christ. So I'd like us to consider what using our eyes to fix our hearts on Jesus might then mean for our lives. And as one of the pastors readily says each and every week, are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? He should say then, let's go. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
Now, this is a familiar text, but the content, I should say that actually the context of the illustration that the author uses may very well not be apparent. So I want to begin with acknowledging that our spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being needs to be rightly set on a solid understanding of Jesus. What he means to us for the life he created us to have. Let me read the text again this morning. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, instead of the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The context of chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, flow from the very famous chapter 11 and what is referred to as the Hall of Faith. And so after listing and explaining who these people were and how they were established as righteous by faith, the author of Hebrews now pulls us into the narrative of the text. I'd like us to consider that we are actually there when this would have been shared. Imagine yourself being together with a group of fellow believers. And Hebrews chapter 11 has just been read. The heroes of faith have just been proclaimed. You remember each story vividly. When suddenly, the reader turns now to all of you and says... Therefore, or better yet, then for us, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And you stop, you think, what? What? How am I to be included in such a significant accumulation of the faithful? How am I to be included with these historic characters of faith? You know, as a part of almost every sermon, the preacher will have some sort of word picture, compelling story, or illustration that is used to help the audience visualize the concept that they will be unpacking. And that is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing here. In a moment, he will be unfolding a very specific illustration, placing us all into a race inside a great Olympia stadium. But for us today, without understanding the historical context of where and when this was written, we might not catch the significance of what is being shared let alone understand the illustration the writer is using. Oftentimes, we read the Bible flat, as if they are just words on a piece of paper. By that, I mean without considering or knowing the reality of the day, it is difficult to put ourselves in the time period it was written because we have no basis of knowledge from which to draw from. 
A couple of years ago, Laura and I celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Our whole family went to the northern Wisconsin lake that I summered at as a kid every year. It was a marvelous time together, especially for the grandkids who had heard so many of Grandpa John's stories about it. But now they were able to see and feel the places and events of those stories, to see how far it was to swim across the lake, to actually physically row a boat, and then to see where the bear came out of the woods. Finally, the stories had skin on them. Seeing, feeling, and experiencing something they had only heard about. And for me, this is exactly what happened regarding this passage a number of years ago. Laura and I and our sons and their wives had a chance to do a Steps of Paul tour through Greece. We went with a group led by a dear friend who's one of the world's leading experts on ancient antiquities and languages. It was a fascinating time to see and experience where Paul walked as we visited Philippi, Thessaloniki, Corinth, Athens. And one of the things that came, became very obvious during our trip was the Greek emphasis on the physical back when Paul walked through Greece. You saw it in the attributes of their gods, the deployment and institution of their annual games. And as a result, is a frequent backdrop to the things written in the New Testament. And when New Testament writers talk about this aspect of life, it would have had significant meaning to the people of the day, both Jew and Gentile. See, when Paul arrives in Greece, it is a period of history where Rome is reinstituting the games in Greece. The Corinthian games happened every two years and were reinstituted exactly when Paul was in Corinth, so he would have been there for a full cycle of two games. This is an important piece of information and worth our remembering. As we read Paul's letters and take note of his use of sport and physical language in them. Just about every major city site had some sort of arena or stadium. Uh, here's a picture of what one of them would have looked like. And in fact, what, what's interesting as you traveled around uh, the country, uh, some were still in the process of being excavated. And, and quite frankly, most of them are fairly uh, well intact once they uncover them from the mounds in which uh, they're hidden. Uh, actually, uh, w w kind of a funny side note, uh, an illustration that some things never change. Because the friend of ours was an expert in ancient languages, as we were at one particular stadium, there was a, a brick etched in the wall. Can, can we show that here for a second? Um, as we were walking uh, towards the entrance of the stadium, the wall was here and there was this, this brick. It was almost as if it was a, a posted sign. And in fact, it was. Our, our friend said to us, this is something that, it, that you guys will enjoy. He said, you know what this basically says? 
It says, leave your alcoholic beverages outside. Only those purchased inside are allowed. <laughs> Some things really never change. At the time of the writing of Hebrews, the stadium and the sports performed in them were, almost, were commonplace. And those that competed in the games were highly honored and like today, almost idolized. During our trip to Greece, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 came to life for me. Wherever we went, there was art of all varieties depicting the games and illustrating the athletes' dedication. The preparation for their event and the supreme place of their trainer and training was well documented. The stadium crowds would have been enormous, flowing up and around the athletes. The most prestigious event was the 100-yard dash. The details of this race are important to know. Each of the runners would line up on one end of the stadium, spacing themselves as best they could, depending on how many runners there were. You see, there were no lanes. Can we see this next arena picture? Uh, this, is a, this is another one, and in, in the middle there, or at, the, at the top, you'll see there's a, uh, there's a cement um, structure on, in the middle of the, the floor of the arena. That would be like the starting line. And as you'll notice, there's no way that any lines are identified. So, so how would the runners run? Each of the competitors would run to their trainer on the opposite side of the stadium. The most critical component of this was to keep their eyes focused squarely on their trainer in order to run in the straightest line possible and not be distracted in any way. Oh, and, and children, cover your ears. They ran the race naked. That's right, stripped completely of any possible encumbrance to their stride. The champion of the race was the man of the games. He would win a wreath, and then he would be invited to a place of honor near the most important dignitary of the day. So now, in light of the action and activity of chapter 11, the author then begins this therefore illustration. And each of the hearers would have been able to clearly visualize the meaning. What I would like to do now is help us visualize the illustration of chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Starting with a picture of our tour group lined up in one of the stadiums ready to run our race. I'm not going to tell you who won, but... Uh, this is what these two verses would feel like to those hearing them being read. And this is what it should mean for us today. Therefore, my fellow runners, by the encouragement of this great stadium full of faithful saints who have run before us and now surrounds us with eternal support, let us strip ourselves completely, laying aside any possible piece of entangling sin that would weigh us down or throw us off course. And let us run 
with eager determination our races we have been called to run. Run well, like you've trained for. Run to win, each of us in our own lane, focusing, fixing our eyes completely on our trainer, the greatest one of all time, who is not only perfect, but in our submission to him brings us into his perfection eternally. It is he who establishes the beginning and the end for us all, who himself had, instead of the joy set before him, endured the greatest of pain and suffering in obtaining the imperishable reef and ultimate victory in the greatest of all events, the conquest of the cross. And from that victory, he was then ushered into heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of the everlasting king. Can I get an amen? amen? In just two verses, the writer of Hebrews encourages, exhorts, and implores us all with the image of a great race. One that all people will run where victory is assured for those of faith because Christ has secured it for us all. And so what I would like to do now is unpack these two verses. As we step from the edge of 2023 into our starting blocks of 2024, there are five fixing the eyes of our hearts on Jesus considerations I'd like to suggest from our text. It is my hope that we will see what this cloud of witnesses means to us. Realize we need to be looking out for the sin that so easily entangles us. See our need for endurance. Understand what looking into the eyes of Christ does for us. And finally, that we see what is ours at the finish line of this life. So starting with that cloud of witnesses... The text says, therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, brothers and sisters of faith, let us step into the starting blocks of 2024 with the constant reminder that we are not alone and that others have gone before us. How encouraging this should be to our lives. And there is a very subtle but significant truth about these witnesses. They are cheering for us to run our race well. It is what brothers and sisters of faith do. Valley Center Community Church, this is what we should do for each other and why we gather. So, take heart in this, my friends. Envision the witnesses are always with you and purpose to cheer for one another. And then, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. Have you ever seen a young toddler in diapers called to the bathroom to take a bath. And so, as that toddler is there and the parents take the garb off, the diaper off, and the child at the nearest opportunity tries to run away and run free unencumbered, 
Have you ever? This is, this is the vision. And this is a significant part of our training. First, the casting away. The removing of any evil that weighs us down or would impede our movement towards Christ. Ridding ourselves once and for all of our pride and selfishness. Taking them off. Leaving them behind. But there is a second consideration here. And that is our proximity to the trainer greatly aids in doing so. Especially those things that easily entangle us. Think puddles and little boys. I don't know what it is about a puddle and a little boy. But I just saw this demonstrated again a couple of days ago on my, one of my walks. The path that we have, uh, it had rained and uh, periodically there was standing water in various spots. And in front of me a little ways was a, was a father and his toddler son. And I watched them as they approached each one of these puddles. And as they would get close to the puddle, the father would reach down and grab a hold of the toddler's hand. And as they got closer and closer to the water, just before they were at the water, the toddler would naturally start to pull his father this way and begin to lift his foot. And as he did, the father would pull the foot and the toddler away from the puddle. And then they would go to the next puddle. And the toddler would move towards the puddle and the father would pull him away to dry land. Is this not like us? The puddle is that sin that so easily entangles. That sin, that one thing that draws you to it. And without connection to Christ, most likely you'll step in it. However, it's the state we will be in when our race is completed and we stand before the most holy one that I like us to carry away from this consideration. And that is that when we do stand before our eternal king, all things will be stripped away once and for all. So take hope in this, my friends. Eventually, you will be completely free of all sin and selfish pride. And so with that in mind, the text tells us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, we don't always take time to consider our lives in this way. That there is work involved and that we need to be alert and prepared. The concept here is an along-the-way development put into place by God for us to grow in. 
It is not a one and done race, but your lie, your lane for the life he has chartered for you. That with patience over time we run, improving our stride as we get closer to the finish line. Uh, this improving over time was something I learned as a high schooler. Um, I wasn't, uh, how would I say, a, a good attendee of high school classes. Uh, probably the only class I attended regularly was gym class. Um, during my time as a sophomore, I, uh, um, I was approached by the track coach. And he um, had asked me to try out for the track team. Uh, there was exercises and things we were doing, and he thought that I was fairly fast, and I kept putting him off. Finally, one day, uh, just I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. But it was at the end of the week, and I only had like one day to meet with the rest of the track team, and then on Saturday was a, was a meet. And he, he put me in for the 100-yard dash. And I, being a numbskull, I didn't think much about it, so, you know, I went, and it was the, the, the race came up, I, I got into the starting blocks, I didn't even quite know how to do it, but the gun went off and I shot out of those blocks like, and I had my head down and I was moving three, four, five, six strides and I'm kind of feeling, you know, uh, there's, you know, there's nobody by me. I must be winning this thing. And I, you know, I'm thinking, man, I'm almost there, you know, and I'm, I start to lift up my head and I look and holy smokes, the finish line was way down there, and when I realized how far away it was, the trained runners blew right by me. You know, training takes time. Endurance is required in order to finish, let alone finish well. This next thing I'm going to say is really important. You see, I was chosen, but I did not know how to run. I was chosen, but I did not yet know how to run. And in the consideration of your life, Once you have received faith, how much training have you done in order to run? My friends, take heed of this truth. Endure your sanctification. Brothers and sisters of faith, let us welcome the discipline required of disciples in order to finish well. Welcome the discipline required of disciples in order to finish well. In the text that follows these verses, verses 11, 3 through 11, the author of Hebrews unpacks why discipline is necessary and its eventual blessing to it. It might very well be a good devotional piece for you for the rest of this week.
However, we can endure the discipline of our training by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, on one hand, this is the easiest concept to consider. And yet it seems the most difficult to realize. That is, to implement. You might say, yes, yes, you say, I I know I should be looking to Jesus and all I do. But what does that actually mean in my life? Well, with this illustration, the author of Hebrews is, is sharing with those reading, those hearing, that the connection to Christ as trainer means that only complete concentration on him would bring victory. Hey, have you ever had one of those look at my eye moments with your kids? Well, why do you do that? Sure, you, you want them to get it, to understand whatever it is you have for them at that moment. Sometimes a simple look at me is all that is needed. Other times, you find you need a physical exertion to train their head and their eyes to work to go together in doing so. So you grab their face, right? And you place it right in front of you and you say, look at me. This is the degree of intentional training we need in our relationship with Jesus. The Hebrew readers would have made the trainer-runner-in-training analogy here. The racers were trained to focus on the eyes of their trainer and thus run straight to them without looking anywhere else. The more disciplined the runner was in this regard, the better his performance. Distraction usually meant defeat. And is this not the case in our own lives as well? Coming out of the blocks in 2024, we must be fixated on Christ. So take hold of Christ, my friends. Engage with Jesus. And there is a second part of this consideration, and it is to remember just who our trainer is, was, and will be. Again, the writer here uses race imagery in describing Jesus as the beginning and the end, the start and the finish of the race he set before us. That is, by his mercy and grace, our race began, and it will ultimately end with him in glory, which is our final consideration who, instead of the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now you might note that I have replaced the word for with the word instead, because it better represents the understanding of what is meant here. As we have heard from Pastor David numerous times during the early chapters of Luke, Jesus left eternal perfection in heaven and instead came here to live live on this sin-laden planet. 
So, who instead of that, he endured this. His event was the cross, and he was perfect in it. Might I dare say he was the very first cross trainer? And when we realize that his perfection is what he is training us toward, it makes the fixing our gaze on him more understandable and desirable. For he has shown us where our race ends. Brothers and sisters, he is taking us home. Eternal life for you begins when you cross the finish line of this one. The bookends of this passage should cause us to know firsthand why we are called to live our lives with a view that affects our thoughts, our choices, our attitudes, and our actions. Knowing that there are those who have gone before us and that they are waiting at our finish line to greet us and that Jesus is there with them, his hands guiding us to the place of honor next to him, should energize our walk. No, it should move us to run. Amen? Amen? Today, I would encourage, exhort, and implore us to realign our minds and our hearts to an eternal view that should dictate the life we live now. Is Christ clearly the trainer of your life? I started today by asking you if you know what your belief system is. You see, your biblical worldview tells us that Christ not only cared for us, but died for us, so that on our belief of Jesus doing so, God has granted us an eternal future with him. The great thing about 2024 is that from our study in the Gospel of Luke, we will be learning and knowing Jesus together. We will see what he told us we should do and be. Learning what he tells us about ourselves are called indicatives, which means all that God has done for us. And those truths are always the basis for our Christian imperatives, the ways we respond in faith and obedience. Passages like the Sermon on the Mount and the interaction with the disciples teach us much about ourselves and relationships with others. His parables cause us to consider our motives. His sacrifice teaches us about self. And his words of comfort to those in need give us peace in our troubles and demonstrate for us how to do likewise with others. And all the New Testament writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit illustrate Christ's attitudes that should be ours also. Have this attitude in yourselves, which are also in Christ, are the exact words from Paul regarding humility and action and the interest of others. This, my friends, is fixing our eyes on Christ, knowing him so that we would know how to run our race well. So I pray our 2024 is a year of growing and knowing Christ and no longer living for ourselves, but for him who died 
that we would have life eternal. Let me pray. Lord, as we quietly bow our heads, may you put into our minds and our hearts the picture of you standing there at the finish line looking to welcome us in and then usher us to the right hand. I pray for each and every household that's represented here this morning, Lord, that you bless them in this regard, that you keep as a constant reminder our need to have you as trainer, to fix our eyes on you, to focus our walk towards you. We just thank you, Father, that you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we would have eternal life. So let us, Lord, then bless us then that we might walk in a manner worthy of your call of us into your eternal kingdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.